You're listening to an Artache podcast. In 2014, Libby Hakurai and Taunui Stevens established the Māori Land Film Festival. Based in Otaki on the Kapiti coast, their goal was to show thought-provoking Indigenous films that move, hearten and unite their community. The festival began with 11 films and by 2019 had grown to 138 from 94 Indigenous nations around the world and includes over 200 events and screenings that run over the five days. The festival has grown to be the largest presenter of Indigenous screen content in the Southern Hemisphere. In 2020, the Māori Land Film Festival is scheduled in Otaki from the 18th to the 22nd of March. With us today is Madeline de Young, the Kai Whakahau Hotaka Program Manager for the Māori Land Charitable Trust, which operates the festival. We'll ask a question, but I do really yeah. want to talk about the name. So let's yeah, just sure. quickly talk about the name. Sure. So um, Māori Land, it has a bit of a backstory to it. Back in the 1920s, there was an Australian company called Australian Federated Films that came over to New Zealand and they kind of ventured all over the country looking for the perfect place to set up and chose Ōtaki on the Kapiti Coast because it had, they described it as a potent actinic light which was perfect for the film at the time. So they opened a company called Marinand Films and they made, I think, four films and they were all kind of... um, a bit silly, what like Charlie Chaplin sort of moving, you know, no sound, that yeah. sort of thing. And then as quickly as they started, they folded. And Libby Hakarai, our director, she was a journalist and has made a number of documentaries and was going through the archives at Natanga Sound and Vision where she found this end plate that says, Welcome to Māori Land, the Los Angeles... No, Welcome to Ōtaki the Los Angeles of the South Pacific. And that was quite a few years ago, but she printed it out and kept it on her fridge for a while. And then um, being a filmmaker as well, she was traveling to a lot of the other indigenous film festivals. We usually go up to Imaginative in Canada. Um, Sundance has a very successful native program. That's what Taika Waititi came up through. Um, Scott McCulvick in Finland, uh, again and again sort of thing. So, all those filmmakers in those nations were going, where do we come to in New Zealand? We really want to show our films, what can we do? And so from that, Libby decided to start the festival with her husband, Tainui, and the name was already there sitting on her fridge. It's it's a great name. I love it. And I also find it quite interesting because Māori is said with the Māori vowels, but mm-hmm. then land is with the, the uh, English vowels. But it said like Māori land. Well, that's how I say it. Yeah. Interestingly, you said Māori land, which is interesting. I don't know. Yeah. But it's interesting because it, it's a it's a it's a, a really nice join of of a, it's a new language. Yeah, and it kind of a perfect. I mean, we haven't really talked about that before within our own organisation, but I guess it does really describe the impact it has had in our community of bringing in a lot of a largely older Pākehā audience within our own community and introducing them to new worlds, to stories I've never heard of. We quite often have people stand up after our screenings and just share with 
the audience how they feel because they're so moved by hearing a story that they have never known but that is so native to this country and often can be so traumatic and wanting yeah. to, you know, respond to that and sometimes apologise, sometimes say that they want to do better. But also it's a bit of a political statement calling it Māori land in that we don't really compromise on who we are. We're based in our own community where our whānau is from. And so everything we do is within a Kopapa Māori sort of environment. Yeah, I, re- I, I really like it. And I also, it's such a great, well, obviously, film is such a wonderful way to tell stories. Yeah. Because especially Indigenous stories or stories that haven't been told or had any proper light on them yet. Yeah, because you sure. have sound and you have vision and spoken word and everything combined. And it's just so powerful. It's such a strong way to convey a message and a story. Absolutely. Um, so you've been with the Māori Land Film Festival since the beginning. Yes. Um, what an incredible rise the festival's had. Can you yeah. tell us a bit about the festival and what we can look forward to in the 2020 season? Sure. So we've actually just locked our program in the last couple of days. It's gone to the designer now and it's really exciting. We It's sitting around 130 films. There'll be a few that pop up in... The next few weeks we're currently making some films in Taiwan and we'll be in Finland with our rangatahi, but also the Native Slam occurs every year. So that's an international indigenous collaboration challenge where in 2016 we were looking at all the filmmakers coming to the festival and thought, man, this is a really wasted opportunity to create something. Why don't we, you know, we always talk about ideas and people are always going, oh, what can I do? What can I make? Let's do something. And then you go back to your normal lives and it slows down and you don't get a chance to do it. So with the Native Slam, we select teams of three and we pair two internationals up for Māori filmmaker here in New Zealand and then they make a film in 72 hours and then they screen at the festival. That's right. So that's always a big part of the festival. Then our opening night film will be The Legend of Baron Tor. That's a new New Zealand release. It's going to be out in cinemas all over the country on February 20th, but we really wanted to celebrate the sort of creativity and excitement and it's a film that's going to pack a lot of oomph, I think. Um, Can you tell us what it's about? It's about (laughs) a young Samoan man who goes back to his whānau and decides he wants to be a fighter like his granddad, I think. Um, And so, but, you know, he's got to make his mark and prove his worth sort of thing. So it's an action film it is very much a New Zealand story with Māori and Samoan influences through it. It's from the same producers who made Vai and um, Waru. Yeah. But it's more of um, an action sort of film than those two were previously. Is it based in now contemporary? Yeah, it's based now. Yeah. Mm. Um, then on the documentary side of things, there's a couple of really exciting... I mean, the whole program is incredible, but there are those certain films which we have either able to bring the filmmaker out or they've had great success elsewhere. And Māori Land is the only opportunity for a lot of these films to be seen in New Zealand. So we do like to sort of shout about their success. But um, what I'm really personally looking forward to is called We Will Stand Up. It's a documentary from Canada about... Uh, a couple of years ago, this 22-year-old kid was murdered by a farmer in the prairies in Saskatoon, and sorry, Saskatchewan, and 
it kind of crystallized racism in Canada where the police were saying it was a robbery gone wrong which wasn't really the situation and then the public started fundraising money for this farmer to get off and they raised over $200,000 for this farmer's legal um, fees when he'd killed someone at point blank range. Why did he kill head. him? Why, why, why did he kill him? Was so he- basically these kids had been, or young adults, had been out, gone for a swim, um, you know, just having a bit of fun. It was the summer. And then they, one of their tyres was on the rim, so they decided to go and get some help. And Colton Bushy, the young man who was killed, he was sitting in the back seat of the car and was asleep with his girlfriend and her friend. And there were there were two other boys in the car who were driving and a passenger. And when they got to the farm, the two boys who were awake were, you know, being silly, um, mucking around. And the farmer came out of the house with a shotgun. And so he shot at the car. The, those two ran off. And Colton wakes up tries to get away because he doesn't know what's going on yeah. and then is shot in the back of the head. And it's kind of, I saw it in the media when it was running through and was kind of horrified because it did capture so much attention both with the Indigenous community going, this is enough, We're like this happens all the time, yeah. not necessarily the same circumstances but situations like these happen all the time and this is a step too far. Versus on the other side of things with the rise of um, the white right, I guess, and the empowerment of racism globally, he was able to find a bit of a following on that side as well. So it was really polarising. And a documentary maker, Dr. Tasha Hubbard, she was um, distantly related to the family and so decided to get involved and start her film. And so they film all through the trial and then the family of Colton Bushi, uh, one of his cousin's sisters, she really stepped up in the process and her family decided that she would be the family spokesperson. And through her voice, I've taken the case all the way to the UN to Justin Trudeau because they want an official inquiry into the justice racism, institutional racism in the justice system in Canada. And so it's an incredibly powerful film. It's quite distressing. But at the same time, you're watching this family going, wow, they are amazing. They just need to be supported. They need everything we can give them. And... They're also they're all going to be coming out to the festival, so we'll be able to see them here. And I think for us here in Aotearoa, like, their story resonates. I mean... We have very similar issues within our legal system of institutional racism within both the police and justice. We understand that we've got higher levels of incarceration of Māori than any other race in this country. And also the love of a family for their children is really, really evident in that film. Yeah, how long do you think, just as a, how long do you think it will take to start rectifying well not start to rectify that to get to actually wheedle out that is it is it is it generational do you think or is it something that I mean I feel already in the last 10 years there's been Mm. a lot more education around it and there's been a change 
It's an interesting question because, I mean, there's two sides to it. All these things could be so easily changed if we had confidence of leadership to go, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah. We're changing it from the ground up and we're going to do it this way. But at the same time, when you look at all the institutions that fold around these things, um, government, the police, the justice system, and even our universities of the sort of young people who are able to study law or to go into the police or to do all those sorts of things, that it kind of, it's not just one thing, it has to be a total societal change to say we're not going to do this anymore. And I... Like you say, so much has changed in recent times in terms of how we respond to each other and interpret things. That that does give me confidence, but at the same time, as much movement and what I would say is a positive direction has been made, the same sort of traction is starting to grow in the opposite direction. And so I think we have to be a bit more forceful and the change we want to see rather than letting it happen incrementally because it could go either way. Yeah, yeah, it needs to be, it needs to, it just needs to be aligned, yeah. Yeah. It needs to be dictated, basically. Yeah. I do notice in, in government and stuff now there's a, there's a lot more honouring of the Treaty of Waitangi when it comes to inclusion and, and pros, cultural processes being brought into every element yeah. of decision making, which is really important. But that's not across the board at all. Yeah, totally. And an interesting conversation I've seen starting to pop up is as the country embraces Te Reo Māori more and more, at the same time there's not necessarily the educational knowledge underneath that of tikanga Māori, um, of our history here in New Zealand about um, te tiriti o Waitangi and respecting those principles. And so I think it all has to kind of be tied up together and fundamentally for more Māori to be in positions where they have the ability to be to shape these things rather than getting Māori in to be consultants or advisors. Yep because then it gets warped into its own thing anyway. I Yeah, I, I do think, I agree with you, I think that there's definitely, there's definitely change happening, but yeah, I just kind of hope that it, everything gets a, sort of properly aligned and balanced and mm-hmm. more harmonious and about, I don't know, t- I, I kind of, I think we're getting there, but it's a long way off, but maybe 10 years time, maybe, I, when we yeah. get the next wave of leaders in, you know, and it's just, uh, yeah, it's hard. Interesting topic. Yeah. Um, right. One of the driving principles of Indigenous film festivals is the need for Indigenous people to tell their own stories. Mm. Can you talk a little bit to the importance of this? Yeah, I think for me, I see this most when in our work with Rangatahi across Aotearoa. So each year, my, both myself and our team, we go out into Māori and rural communities to lead two-day filmmaking workshops and the idea behind them is to empower rangatahi Māori to tell their own stories from their own perspectives, from their own communities. And it's kind of pushing against this idea of that you have to leave or that you have to change yourself to be successful. Um, Our Māori communities often lose a great number of their young people when they hit 18 to go to the city or to go somewhere for either education or for jobs. And that really guts the 
heart of a community when those young people leave. And so what we see when we go into these communities is it's just incredible. The energy, the passion, and the shift in their sort of perspective of themselves and their lifestyles as they start to work with us because once we've gone to a community as much as we can we try to always go back and develop long-term relationships with the young people we're working with. So an example is um, when we first went up to Kaitaia in 2017 we met this young 14 year old boy who was only there because he didn't want to chop firewood that weekend (laughs) but he got really into the film workshop he loved the idea of playing with the cameras and using the gear and then on the second day of the workshop we were all staying at a marae we woke up and he had on his phone a shot list going I know what I'm going to do today this is it and the story that he chose to tell was about suicide from the perspective of a young person and the ideas that must be rolling around in their brain because he had personally lost a number of family members and people he knew and there that that's a lot it was a lot and it, it kind of that whole workshop had been shaped by that because there'd been a spate of them in that community that year which was really that's hard harsh yeah yeah and and you know we were talking to some of the older kids about it and 18, 19 year old boys going, well, I mean, all that there really is to do is either go into forestry or work at pack and save. And I don't really want to do that. And I don't really know what I want to do. Yeah. And, but with this 14 year old, he just had such a spark and such an interest that first of all, it meant that we had to keep going back. And so I've been back once or twice a year I think twice a year in each of the years since. But also we took him to, we got him to sign up for this program we ran called Through Our Lens where we take young people overseas. So we took him to Hawaii and then we took him to the Cook Islands and he, last year, he premiered his first professional short at a festival in Canada and was saying to us after the screening, you know, I don't know where I would be if I hadn't had that workshop because it's totally changed the course of my life. And I think, yes, it has in terms of international travel and a career and all these opportunities, but it's also given him a voice and an opportunity to talk about who he is and where he's from. And and to realise the value of his story. Exactly. And I think that you see that throughout Indigenous cinema. You know, you have stories about language, about um, experiences, either colonial or contemporary. You have, and then there's all the fun stuff like the um, Pakiwaitara, so myths, legends, as they get called in other places. Um, And there's so much vitality of the storytelling which hasn't really been seen outside of their own communities for so long. And through that, it kind of, it fills you up. It fills you up. And I think we see that with our Pākehā audiences as well. They watch the films and they understand, and they, their world is opened. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you get that in the same way when you're watching the same story being retold again and again and again yeah. by any of the big cinema, uh, big studios. Yeah. That just reminded me of Cats, which we were talking yeah. about before. <laughs> have you seen it? I haven't, but it looks I went and horrifying. Had, I had watched it, and it was really bad. It's yeah. really... In fact, I'd say that would be the absolute 
pinnacle of the worst that can be possible, the worst type of story. Yeah. Storytelling, irrelevant, badly managed, not pay, clearly, clearly not paying the people that yeah. are actually doing the work enough to do the work properly. Yeah. So just don't go, but maybe you want to go just to be horrified because well, it is horrifying. I mean, that makes me think of, though, the uh, the Globe Theatre in the UK, they did a festival a couple of years ago where they invited all the countries in the world to submit their own take on Shakespeare's classics. And I think in contrast to Cats, <laughs> the works that came out of that process were incredible. From Aotearoa, we had um, the Māori Troilus and Cressida, which was all in Te Reo Māori, but then... I've also seen a few of the others that they brought through um, Auckland Arts Festival. And, you know, they had Macbeth in the Congo or <laughs> um, a hip-hop Othello, like yeah. all these incredible stories retold. And I think that's such a missed opportunity because there are stories that are classics that can be retold again and again and again, but why not infuse some more life into them? I, I know, it's just... Yeah, yeah. You have to see. It's it's just like why did they why did they do so much CG? Why did they? they it's just all wrong, yeah. all sorts of wrong. Um, have you been? Have you spent much time on TikTok? I have. I'm trying to um, understand it at the moment, which sounds makes me sound really old. But no, no, no. I was on there this morning, and I totally get you. But I had a great time on there this morning because it was just like because I was using hashtags Aotearoa and things because I just posted a couple yeah. of. I'm interested in with the art stuff I do with artists, yeah. promoting it, and, and I'm just interested in doing that sort of thing. And yeah, um, and because of that, I was getting a lot of. Um, Samoan and Maori people doing this, whatever TikTok yeah. people do, I don't, you know, there's yeah. a lot of dance sort of routine. intangible um, addictiveness to it, right? Uh, totally. And, but I, I was loving it because it's so, it, can, it means you can, from wherever you are, you can, there's, there's this great community on there yeah. I suddenly saw. And it was fa- yeah. fantastic, beautiful singing and, yeah. yeah. Also, I find the cuts fascinating, like really interesting editing techniques all through a tiny little app. It's it's really confusing and (laughs) slightly addictive and I probably shouldn't have gone on there because I've got enough on my plate and I don't need to start doing TikTok as well, but it might just have to happen. (laughs) Um, The gaze. Let's talk about the gaze. Sure. How it is critical for any art form. What does it mean to represent one's indigenous culture in the world? Yeah. And why? I think that that kind of feeds into why it's so important that it's indigenous people telling their own stories rather than um, having the stories taken on by non-indigenous producers or directors. I mean, our criteria for the festival is that Every work has to have an Indigenous person in a key creative role. Usually that's writer, producer or director. And I think it comes from the embodied knowledge and ability to transmit that into a vision that is really hard to mimic if you don't have that lived experience. I mean, I saw some critique of Greta Gerwig's work with Little Woman, um, to go into a completely non space. Have you seen that yet? No, I I'm hoping have I. it okay, will be on the plane when I go <laughs> on it next. But her talk, someone talking about 
the delicacy with which he has crafted a whole world within the woman's relationships and how it's not flashy like a lot of the big directors that we see out and about at the moment they show their craft constantly through big statements and big moments and you can kind of pick those key scenes that they use to tell what their story really is versus having an intimate knowledge of your subject and then carefully crafting it through the direction and I don't think that you can really mimic that outside of your own body of experience or knowledge and then there's also on the other side of it there's how you actually craft a space um we've been talking a lot at Māori Land recently about toxicity within the industry um the rules around how you're supposed to do things how a shoot is structured, the relationships between people in a crew or within a wider organisation and that film is a really hierarchical um, industry with a lot of elevation of people, putting people up in pedestals and then you can't really touch them and it is kind of antithetical to how most art is created I mean, I grew up in the theatre world and in a collaborative theatre company where our writer would sit next to us and we'd all brainstorm and chuck ideas in and work together and the work would always get stronger through that process. And I think that that's also a very Indigenous way of doing things, to be able to share and respectfully... um, Just a quality of... of, of creativity yeah exactly and I think collaboration yeah and so in indigenous crews and sets there's a real movement to make those spaces safer to make them more indigenous in thinking there was a couple I went to see a film called Empty Metal a couple of years ago in Canada which is by two Ojibwe brothers uh they're Adam and Zach Carlyle, and it's an experimental film. It's absolutely bonkers. It's amazing. But they said in the Q&A, though, that in crafting it, first of all, they were kind of reading some burrows and were interested in cut-up method and that sort of thing, but also wanted to try and find what an Ojibwe way of storytelling was that wasn't the usual, you know, three-act story. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really interesting, trying to disrupt all these sort of learnt techniques of how you tell a film. Film school, film school stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I studied, uh, when I was at Elam, we st- I studied intermedia, which was film, and I yeah. had no, we, we, we just explored, we didn't know. So, the th- but I, I know of the third, the, the acts and the structure yeah. of the story, but I'd, I've never studied it. So it's really, yeah, it's interesting because there's definitely, there, there's yeah. rules around but they're not yeah. they're not needed to be there yeah. around creating films. And even even in when you get up into the funding sort of side of things, and there's all these rules around what you need to have your film greenlit. And, you know, having an experienced producer, but if you don't have the opportunity to gain experience as a producer because those ones who are always assumed to be the right fit are always selected then it gets into a position where you have to have non-Indigenous people telling you how to tell your story 
because of the funding obligations. Yeah. So that's another sort of I do definitely restriction think, on it. Yeah, I think with um with a huge a huge element in um cultural creativity, um it, it is it, there's a definite privilege that comes through because if you don't have any money. You know, you need to have money. Yeah. Well, actually, you don't, but you do. You know, it's you don't and you do. Yeah. I, I've never managed to get funding for yeah. anything I do, but, 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 but I, but I, I totally, yeah. It's it's yeah. like, and I always see certain positions, and I'm like, yeah, but they got to do that position because they had support to be able to to, exactly. to take those risks and do that. So that's kind of privilege, sort of, you know, like, but you can still. I guess that's why TikTok and things are fun because you can still kind of tell your stories. Yeah, sure. And that's what I find really interesting, again, working with our young people is asking, challenging them to make something and to go, you tell us how how you want to do it. And then we'll sit around to be um, there to troubleshoot or to go, there's an (laughs) easier way of doing this. Yeah, yeah. Tell us if you think that's wrong yeah 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 but just kind of try and let them find their own way with a huge amount of support around them so that they can come up with something different yeah and that's yeah that's where you, that, that they can actually explore the medium a lot more and you just help them shape yeah. it into something that can be a little bit more presentable or even not I don't know yeah, yeah. well I mean there's also that's a big question like what is presentable exactly although to be fair they're all so heavily influenced by YouTube that that kind of oh, sets a tone interesting but that being said I Very mean interesting there's an incredible film that came out last week by a Samoan guy called Ben Mika he made a it's a travel video about Samoa yeah Oh, I'd love to watch it's it. It's beautiful, and he's put it on YouTube, and it's just astonishingly beautiful. I mean, he shot it all himself. He edited it all himself, not funded. It's one of those things that, as a programmer, I look at and go, ah, oh, why yeah. is it on YouTube? Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Are you gonna? Is that going to be in? I think for the, this year it had missed our cutoff anyway, but we do, we're trying to work out how to navigate the changing sort of status of things being all over the place versus trying to have the theatrical experience um, and whether that puts people off from coming in person or whether... I suppose if you can get the director. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if you have the artist there, that's definitely a pull. Yes. I'll definitely check that out because I love Samoa. It's a beautiful, beautiful country. So you're also a writer and someone with rich and diverse baskets of knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) including a conjoint degree in health sciences and arts. Can you tell us a little bit about your path into the industry and and also into the Māori Land Film Festival? Sure. So I grew up, both my parents are designers. My father's a graphic designer and my mum is a theatre designer, mainly focusing on lighting and um, sets. And the whole way through my childhood, I was always in theatres growing up but they were and I did drama and you know all that sort of stuff but they were always like please please don't be an actor Um, (laughs) did you want to be an actor well I kind of did I was just you know I was always in that environment and they're going it's really hard yeah um it's really hard to make a living money's not great uh incomes haven't really changed in the last 20 years you know can you please try and find something else and so a friend 
at high school said to me, I had no idea what I wanted to do at uni. She was like, I've come across this degree and I think you'd be really good at it. I think you should apply for it. And I looked at it and it was the health science and arts conjoint. And I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. Um, I'm interested, like I've always been interested in politics, always been interested in how things work and why people do things and that sort of stuff. And so I did that. And then the whole way through my degree, people were going because it was health sciences with English and politics and Māori studies and people be like, what do you, What does that mean? What are you going to do? I, I, lo- I love that. I think that's like really great ingredients to make. Yeah. And it, it was fascinating. Like I loved it. It was, I mean, health sciences is technically geared up to put you into the health industry in either um, health promotion or policy or it's also a pathway to go into clinical if you want to apply for medicine or nursing later. I mean, it gives you all the background. So we'd learn about, like I did, papers on addictions or on Māori health and stuff. But by the end of the degree, I was feeling pretty disillusioned by the fact that it's felt to me like none of the reasons why Māori people have such poor health outcomes has got anything to do with health. It's like housing is crap in this country and incomes are really low and... Māori are treated differently when they go to the doctor and... That 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 was really surprising to me when yeah. I heard that. I was... I Yeah, that was well, pretty... That's it's really like shit. both horrific and fascinating when you look at what people are... Um, what they're prescribed of going... of assumptions like, you probably won't take this, so we won't bother prescribing it to you. Little things like that that I just completely can't believe, shape people's lives. I just can't believe a doc. I mean, I can believe it, but mm. I just find if if you are studying to be a doctor, why would that? You know, you're yeah. studying the human. Yeah. Why would you make? I just that. Yeah, it's just Which, disturbing. I mean, it's there's disturbing. also there's so much privilege in med school because we were yeah. in the same pool as them, and it was like. I mean, just to be able to do it, it's an incredibly expensive degree. I mean, just my conjoint added up to 52 by the time oh I finished. Yeah. Um, but you kind of just have to slog through. And I figured that by the end of it, a lot of my um, peers went into studying postgrads straight away. But I figured that because I was interested in Māori health and that sort of side of things that... I actually had to go out and be amongst people and absorb information and know what was actually needed before I dedicated myself to one specific type of study. Yeah, good. And then it kind of all aligned up that uh, my auntie, Libby, is also my auntie, Māori Land is a whānau affair, was starting up this festival and she said, hey, do you want to come down and intern on the festival? Um, don't really know what I need you to do, but definitely I'm going to need help. And my cousin Kudapai and I, we worked on that first festival and I got completely hooked. And it was like all of my interests fused into one place. Um, totally. You know, it's, I, yeah. It was amazing. And we had, there were like 20 internationals that, that year because Libby had announced the festival in Canada and invited a whole theatre worth of people to come. <laughs> and so I was invited to intern up at Imaginative that October. And so, yeah, I went up there, lived in Canada for a month and worked on their festival. Yeah. Came back and was like, okay, I've got it all. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing now. <laughs> um, 
which I'm not sure I understand. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> we activated Siri. Mute her. Yeah. So and of course I didn't actually know everything. Um I've had to learn a lot since. I bet you have, but it's but so good. It was yeah. so good. And I mean, as the festival's growing, like we became a charitable trust in twenty sixteen, which enabled me to be hired full time, which was like unheard of. Yeah. Um, prior to that point, I was like, you know, doing all sorts of odd things and then working on the festival at night. Yeah. And that kind of grew the youth programs, the Langatahi programs. So we now have a full year round program of Langatahi activities where I go into communities with our team and work with young people all across the country and. Also, then we bought, were able to buy the Marand Hub, which is our home in Otaki. Perfect. And, yeah, it's all kind of grown from there. There's so much to, um, so many facets to putting on a festival as well, which would be such an incredible learning curve. And yeah. I imagine every single time there's a massive drama, but you just get to, yeah. you just end up going, uh, I imagine, uh yeah, if, if there's nothing wrong, then something's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If it's too calm, it's, it's a reason like, to okay, panic. Yeah, and if something, if then you just learn to go. Okay, this is. Yeah, you just don't get frightened by anything anymore because yeah. you just get used to it. Right? <laughs> yeah, everyone jokes about during the festival, we are running around so much that you tend to lose five kg. <laughs> it's a health camp. Yeah, that's your that's your um, health sciences coming into play there. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's also very it's very similar to social practice um the the degrees that you were studying in that combination yeah. which is really nice as well yeah what are the um what are some of the game changing indigenous films worldwide that you think people should know about oh or see uh, oh that's really that's like picking your favorite children um, <laughs> well i mean a really easy one to ex- access at the moment is on netflix it co- is called the body remembers when the world broke open and Ooh. was directed by almaya tail feathers and kathleen hepburn mm-hmm. and it's based on an interaction that almaya had herself where she met this indigenous pregnant indigenous woman and she, they had sort of this chance meeting and she's written a, a film about it. And so in the film, they, she's in the film as well, Almaya, and she meets this young pregnant woman who she can kind of tell that across the street there's a man yelling at her and it just doesn't feel very good and it's raining and she doesn't have anything with her and so she takes her home and looks after her and then tries to get her into a refuge or some... She just tries to help. And it's them navigating their relationship of, you know, stranger, um, whether she actually needs help, does she actually need saving, yeah. all those sorts of things. And it's beautifully shot. It's got these really long, lingering shots that kind of pull you into their world and you really feel like you're in between them. Um, and it's on Netflix, so it's... There's no reason not to watch there's that. There's no reason not to watch it. <sighs> From here in Aotearoa, I, which very tricky, but I think personally one of my favourite films recently was Vi, okay. which came out last year. Um, it's a series of, um, it's a portmanteau film, so a series of scenes in different locations. Um, for this film, the producers 
um, Kerry and Kyle Wack. Kerry, Waki and Carl McNaughton, they selected women from across the Pacific. And so each vignette is set in a different um, nation throughout the Pacific. And what I really love about it is it's got, it's joyful. Um, so much of the films that we work with are really heavy. And in this film, you get to see all the vibrancy and vitality and joy and culture within our Moana communities and and it's all female driven as well and it's just it makes you feel so so happy um and then another one I mean if you I really love like either disaster movies like when I'm chilling out if I'm not working if I'm not watching films work I'll put on an end of the world film or like a really bad action film, something I can like laugh at and scream and just be completely absorbed with. And this film, there's a film in the our festival this year called Blood Quantum, which is a zombie thriller from Canada that came out last year, and it is disgusting. It is amazing. <laughs> there's like there's so many scenes which are just astonishingly grotesque um zombie babies oh whoa chainsaws i didn't know zombies could breed oh no wait well the baby gets killed then it becomes a zombie yeah and also pregnant women becoming zombies like it's do they give birth to zombies yeah it's it's, the babies i couldn't work it out well no because they want they kind of got it was all very messy and you couldn't really work out what was happening in that exact moment around zombies exactly and it's just Amazing. I feel like it's currently getting rated here in New Zealand. I think it's probably going to be 18 plus, but it's definitely amazing. Work. Oh, cool. I look forward to seeing that one. <laughs> An important part of your role is developing the Māori Land Rangatahi Strategy, a pathway for Indigenous youth to enter the film industry. Yeah. What does growing a new generation of storytellers look like practically and how does it occur? Well, it's a bit of a journey. Um, it started off with, I mean, I was 22 when we I joined the organisation and have kind of grown it from there. And when we first kicked off, all the young people we were working with were my cousins, which meant that they there were blurred lines as to how we related to each other and it could become quite stressful at times. But as we've grown, we've started to host workshops all over the country and um, grow the group bit by bit. And so now we it's a full um, pathway, I guess. We start off with our workshops, which I've talked about before, where we go into these communities and all our workshops are now delivered by Rangatahi for Rangatahi. So mm-hmm. we're in a position where we can now hire our young people to teach each other and what we found through that process is they grow so much both personally through sharing their knowledge with other young people but they also learn so much faster and um, openly when it's all peer-to-peer learning so we start with the workshops then we start to work on the leadership side of things so we've got two leadership programs now Pakiaka. They are a group of 12 to 24-year-olds based around Aotearoa who 
we bring together in workshops for to plan the Māori and Rangatahi Film Festival. So they select all the films that we show to the schools at the festival. And they kind of do that both from within their own communities and then we'll hop on Skype or Facebook chat or, you know, whatever on digital form yeah. of communication that they want to at that point in time. And then we program and they present it. So they present all our screenings alongside our kai hapai, who are young Māori students from the kura um, in Ōtaki. And our Ngā Pākehaka Rangatahi, they do Q&As, they host filmmakers, they do basically everything that I do in the festival, Ngā Pākehaka is trained to be able to do as well so that they can step up and take our places. Yeah, yeah. That's the dream. Then <laughs> creatively, Through Our Lens is about connecting young people throughout the Indigenous world to create the next generation of Indigenous storytellers. So... That's, they have to apply, they come to a workshop down in Ōtaki and then we select them to go overseas. We currently have four rangatahi in Taiwan where they're working with young people in communities um, and they're in Kasavakan community at the moment running a workshop with young people there. And so again, it's the same format as we do here in New Zealand but by taking them offshore and connecting them to other young people we are showing them their place in the wider context of our Indigenous world and also hopefully creating the same sort of ripples in those communities so that they can join us and start to work alongside us as well. If they're not already, which a lot of them are, but it's just sharing knowledge and, you know, sharing experiences. Then from there, we start to work on their professional shorts. So we've we shot and um, released our first professional rangatahi film last year, Bub, which premiered in Canada, like I mentioned, and will have its New Zealand premiere at Māori Land. We're taking it up to Finland next week. We're at screening there, and that Very was a really exciting. special thing. Yeah. yeah, it was amazing. It was, you know, two of Oriwa and Mahara have both come up through our workshops. They're members of Napakiaka. They've done through our lens. And they decided that they wanted to make a film. They came up with the idea. I mean, I went upstairs during one of our workshops and they were sitting up at a table doing their storyboard. And while everyone else is downstairs watching a film and I was like, technically you're not doing that, but (laughs) this is amazing. And yeah, so they filmed it, they edited it. They had a professional DOP come and shoot it for them. And then it was graded professionally and had all the you know, trimmings put on top, but it's a really special little film. And we're hoping to be able to do another four of them this year. And then after that, I mean, we get asked constantly, do you know somebody who can work on this? Do you know somebody who can work on this? And so we're starting to be able to place young people in those roles, if not hiring them ourselves. So our team, one of um, my rangatahi coordinator, Ari, she came up through the workshops and as soon as she graduated from uni, we were like, can we have you? Mm-hmm. Can you please not leave? Yeah. Um, so she's now full-time with us. And we've hired a couple more for other roles throughout the year. And that's just the film stuff. We are starting a... We've Last year we piloted Match, the Marian Tech Creative Hub. And so we're starting to try to move into the digital space, um, looking at VR, gaming, animation, 
a uh, whatever is to come. So interesting. That's such it's an interesting space. fascinating, but it's also it's moving so quickly and it's really it's a gnarly sort of environment to try yeah. and break into but we're we're gonna do it totally and it's it's also yeah it is it is i totally get you in it in it and everything it's, it happens with social as well it just seems yeah. to move all over the place but exploring in those areas is so great yeah especially um virtual reality and things like the potential it's, is just massive it's amazing they're so incredibly beautiful the vr works i've seen um I was lucky to go to the University of Technology in Sydney has a VR dome sort of room where you can be within the VR experience without wearing a headset. Interesting. So um, it's amazing. It's like you can walk around, the 3D comes to you within the space. It's got full surround sound so that you can hear things moving in different places. And it was just the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen. That's awesome. Yeah. It'd be cool if cinemas were kind of like that. Yeah, it just seems to, I mean, for me, like as it, having the theatre background, it kind of brings it all together, yeah. both the multimedia and the digital and then the lived yeah. and then the connect in the moment experience yeah yeah the connect the group connective the collective kind of response to the environment yeah and especially as it becomes more responsive with the addition of augmented reality i mean the l- options are yeah limitless yeah it's i think it's a great exciting space for art as well like well art yeah. is the same but you know it's just yeah in the senses and oh, it's wonderful um so you're heading to finland shortly yes <laughs> Taking a group of young aspiring Māori filmmakers there as part of the Through Our Lens program, which connects Indigenous rangatahi globally. What are some of the aims and outcomes of this initiative? Yeah, so Through Our Lens was a wild dream that I was terrified to begin with and have really grown to love. The idea of it is to create connections around the world between our young people, to inspire and to activate them to be able to tell their own stories from wherever they are to grow the young Māori filmmakers who we take on these trips with us as leaders in their own right. Um, I mean just the process of going overseas for a lot of them is a big deal because it doesn't happen in their communities or in their families or I mean to go to Finland and we're not just going to Finland we're going to Inari, which is in northern Finland, so it's like four flights, um, three days of travel. We're going to be up above the Arctic Circle in sub five, but possibly sub ten degree temperatures. It's huge. And is it dark over there at the moment? It is mostly dark. Yeah. It's starting to get a few daylight hours, but it's that's, pretty... That's mind-blowing as well. <laughs> yeah, and I'm really hoping that we get to see the aurora. That would be great. we'll see. But also, I mean, they learn how special it is to have their own culture as well when they interact with other Indigenous cultures. Everywhere that we've taken our rangatahi, they gain so much respect for the cu- countries that they are in and the people's of those lands but also they gain so much respect and um, appreciation for the fact that we have kohanga reo all the way through to wananga in Aotearoa that we have a treaty settlement process 
whatever that may look like yeah. for their own people. I mean, we went to Hawaii and we were in Honolulu. Like it's, I think in Hawaii it's very different depending on where you are, but where we were, we were in Waikiki in the midst of, it was like Disneyland for rich people with oh, yeah. like Gucci and all the like luxury stores and flash cars and it was really um, sort of isolating and but at the same time through that process our young people were able to really appreciate Queen Liliokalani who was the last Hawaiian queen she basically got told to either annex Hawaii to the states or that all her people would be killed so she went with the annexation um, and her her lands like her where everybody would go to visit her is right in the heart of Honolulu so we were there being able to really connect with that story and to see how removed they were from that place and all of the young people on that trip came away going wow I really did not appreciate how much we have at home and then on the flip side, being able to go out to country or to go to places where they're really, really rich in their culture and to be absolutely blown away by the sort of all the things that they never really knew about these people who had only just been ideas beforehand. Yeah. Have you been to Australia with this? Uh, we haven't been with through our lens, but we do um, some really close friends of ours run Winter Film Festival in Sydney and so we are able to go across to there and we've had members of Indigilab, they're an Aboriginal um, technology advocacy organisation so they've come and helped us with our tech stuff and oh, good. we yeah. have a really great relationship over there. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's yeah. A, it's a very interesting area and heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. Just. The celebrated Māori filmmaker, broadcaster and co-founder of the Māori Land Film Festival, Tainui Stevens, spoke about the importance of innovation in Indigenous storytelling. He said, it is the cinema of survival. Survival is, survival is not just preserving and being guardians of these traditions, it's about explorations and striking out into new territory. Where do you stand on the importance of innovation in Indigenous film and storytelling? Yeah. Tainui is such a phenomenal person to have as part of our organisation because he always he's a really deep thinker and brings really potent statements like that. I think, and, and one thing that he has done in his work, so he pro- is a producer of The Deadlands, both the um, cinematic feature, which was the first All in Te Reo Māori, and also a TV series which will be released really soon. And I think what we've seen through his work with that is innovation can come in so many ways, right? There's the technical innovations like moving from 2K to 4K or changing frame rates, cameras, VR, 3D, you know, all that sort of stuff. But what's really, I find personally interesting in terms of innovating within our stories is trying to find new ways of communicating and new ways of expressing ourselves from a really sort of core level in a really honest and authentic way. So whether that's, if it's a real Māori or Indigenous language work going 
how how do we actually want to express ourselves? Are we going to go to a really um, to that community that the film is set in and really hone in on the local dialect, or are we going to go into more of a um, try and find an older form if it's a period piece or or if it's got Shakespearean themes, would we try and explore how we speak in that way in our language? I think there's so yeah. much potential to innovate and become creative and and find new ways to invigorate our languages through storytelling, which as the number of Real Māori speakers increases, like there's so much potential activity in there. It's really exciting. Um, or other innovations like format, how, what's an authentic way of telling a story that isn't following a Hollywood model? Or yeah, um, if we are going to be making a film about the land, or like how do we pay people? How do we credit people in a way that really honours everybody who has participated, right down to the land, and putting some budget for kaitiakitanga like yeah those sorts of innovations are what really interest me and I mean the technical stuff just kind of yeah. comes on along alongside us and helps invigorate every idea that everybody has. Aotearoa is blessed with some formidably talented and strong female Māori filmmakers what have women in general and Māori women in particular brought to our film industry that might otherwise not have been seen? Mm. Oh, that's hard. I mean, I think if you look to Māori culture in general, it is a largely matriarchal society and that isn't often appreciated outside of Māori communities. But when you, if you go to a marae or even to a whānau and you look around, you'll see that it's the aunties in the background calling all the shots. You know, they're the ones telling everybody where they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to be doing. Um, you know, they're everywhere. And so in the film world in Aotearoa, there are a lot of really powerful, um, talented, incredible female Māori producers who we don't often hear about. And, I mean, if you look at Taika's work, so yeah. he has worked with Chelsea Winstanley for the majority of his career and Ainsley Gardner. Ainsley's just shot her first feature film, her, um, her, her first feature film in a director's role, but she's been in the background of a lot of his work. Chelsea was the producer of Jojo Rabbit, amongst other films that she's worked on with Taika and has just been was nominated for both a Golden Globe and Jojo Rabbit obviously yeah yeah got a lot of nominations at the Academy Awards so which is so great it's so exciting for them and it's they've really grown so much in terms of the opportunities for Maori filmmakers or Indigenous filmmakers across the board um and so I think when it comes to the impact of Māori women in this industry, a lot of it is unrecognised and unseen. I mean, when I look at our own organisation, it's primarily women, wahine. We, Tainui is one of our two men in the, in the room at any one time. And it's just not often recognised, I think. Yeah. The, all the work that goes into it and all the all the um, balls that 
women in the industry have to juggle in general. And with Māori women, it's not just families and that personal life, but it's also um, tribal or extended whānau responsibilities, um, the responsibilities to casting crew, to land to you know yeah. they're constantly wearing a gazillion hats at once yeah I think I think I think women work harder they yeah. really really work yeah and I think I mean when I look at the dynamic of things often our tāne are pushed out to do the talking because everybody else is too busy working mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah exactly thank you so much for coming in and chatting with me about Māori land it's so it's such great work what you're doing it's wonderful and I'm really looking forward to seeing the festival this year and um, yeah thanks so much it's been really interesting hearing more about it and your journey with it and the work that you're doing here and internationally so thank you thank you thanks this podcast was brought to you with the help of Liquid Studios you're listening to an Artache podcast creative content from Artake.com.